need you guys to get out your Bibles. Get out your Bibles. Just a little bit more house lights, please, so they can see their words. Again, it's great to have you guys here. I have a question to ask each of you tonight to begin. Pretty lighthearted question, really. Non-serious question. Do you know God? Try to say that in my best Charlton Heston voice possible. Do, do you know God? Now, for some of you, you answered immediately. And for those people who answered immediately, both yay and nay, I ask you, how do you know that you know? And for others of you, you're completely confused by the question. You're like, well, what do you mean? Do I know God? I don't even understand the question. For both of those reasons tonight, listen, we're going to journey through an amazing passage that will unfold for us the beauty and mystery of knowing God and knowing that you know. That's the title of tonight's passage, if I were to put a title on it. Knowing God and knowing that you know. Uh, Avery and I, my daughter, two, year, two and a half year old, our favorite place to go is the park. Anybody else? All you college students, I know you love that. You love the swing sets and stuff. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. But, but our favorite place to go in the park. In fact, yesterday we went to two different parks. Okay. We went to Blanchett by our house and then we went to, uh, as my little girl calls it, the Ladybug Park. Uh, have, you, have any of you guys ever been to Waffle Horse? Awesome. Um, well, at Waffle Horse, there's this ladybug that you can like get in and like rock back and forth. It's really cool. So she calls it the Ladybug Park. So uh, on Monday, we're at the Ladybug Park. That's right. Yesterday we went twice. Monday we went once. I mean, we're at the park all the time. We love it. And, uh, and, and we're like, you know, climbing on the jungle gyms and she's rocking back and forth on the Ladybug. We're having a, just a great bonding time together. And I swear that what God did is he took my wife's personality... All right, first of all, my wife's name is Heidi, amazing, beautiful woman, um, is, is right now impregnated with our second child, Dawson, love her to death, is impregnated proper, I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll work with it. I, I'm, ser- I'm serious that, that what God did is he took Heidi's personality and, and just thrust it into my little girl, right? Heidi is very black, black and white, everything's like very low risk taker, right? Heidi does not take many risks. So for those of you that know the story, even planting this church was a huge step of faith. I mean, this miraculous, really. Right. So what God did is like took all those things and just just put them in my little girl. For those of you that know Avery, the girl has zero. I'm I'm interested to see how my son's going to turn out. Right. Because Avery's like opposite of me. She will not do anything unless she is 100 percent sure of it. So we're at the park, the ladybug park. And we're, you know, walking around the jungle gym. I think that's what you call it with the bridges and stuff, right? And, of course, we're holding each other's hand because, again, she does nothing unless she's sure of it. And we come to the drawbridge. Yeah. When I was a kid, the drawbridge was the place to be. You know what I'm saying? Because it was like action, you know? It's like the stationary things. They're all right. But the drawbridge, it moves, it shakes. If it gets windy, it gets, you know, it, it's, it's an amazing place. So we come to the drawbridge, and I'm holding Avery's hand, and I'm like, all right, hey, Avery. And she looks at me really serious, you know, with us. Hey, Avery, you want to go across the drawbridge? And she's never been across it, but she scans it, looks at it. She says, no, Daddy, it's too bumpy. You know, I'm like, ah, this is, come on, I'm holding your hand. Literally, 
carry you across this thing, you know? My little girl will do nothing unless she is 100% sure of it. Are any of the rest of you like that? Look, can we agree on something tonight? The power of assurance when it comes to anything has a tremendous amount of weight, doesn't it? Similarly, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the power of doubt has a tremendous amount of weight. Now listen, I don't know what your answer was to do you know God, but I know this. We're going to dive through the passage, the scripture tonight, and I'm praying that by God's grace, He will assure us tonight. Because there is a tremendous amount of power of being assured in the gospel and the one who blesses us with the gospel. So let's pray right now for that to happen. God, please come and assure those who you have called God. I pray that you will give us a tremendous amount of faith in you, increase our faith. And God, for those that are unsure tonight, I pray that by your grace, you may open their eyes to understand your Gospel. In your awesome name. Amen. Now, have you guys turned to First John yet? Have I asked you to do that? Okay, First John. Listen to this. I'm not going to read that yet. L- look at this. Uh, Moses. Have, have you guys all heard of Moses before? Pretty cool character. To connect last week and this week, I have this amazing passage to share with you. Moses comes down after gathering the Ten Commandments. Get, right? And he comes down. Listen to this. After all of this, can I read this passage for you? This is unbelievable. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like chaos is happening up where Moses is, you know. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. You know, I mean, they're seeing chaos up there and they're like, if that comes down here, like, you know, no, you speak to us, human, you know, give us your words, Moses. Now, listen to this. Moses said to the people, and I've never, ever, ever, ever noticed this before in uh, in this passage. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Listen, that you may not sin. Now, for those of you that have been journeying with us in First John, you know that last week Jason did an amazing job at teaching First John chapter two, verse one and two, where John writes, "My dear little children, I'm writing this to you. So what? So you may not sin. Be precise, exact message." From thousands of years before in Exodus chapter 20. Could we take a moment and claim victory in the fact that scripture says in Hebrews that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The message of God hasn't changed. But something has changed. You see, in Exodus chapter 20, when God gives the law to Moses, we believe here at this church... That everything in the Scripture pre-Christ is pointing to Christ and post-Christ pointing back to Christ. Does that make sense? Everything's about Jesus. And so if we believe that, then we believe that the law 
was given to the Jewish nation to show their need for Christ. In other words, to show that they were incapable of following the law. God gave the law knowing full well that they in and of themselves could not do it. Impossible. And so he establishes a sacrifice system. Again to point to who? To Christ. Then Christ comes and John who were studying saw him, heard him, touched him. And then wrote, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And the difference is, for you, post-life, death, and resurrection of Christ, listen to this. Because of the promised Holy Spirit that I will send to be a seal for those who believe in me, for you, obedience is possible. Why isn't that preached any more than it is? For us, obedience is possible. Not because you're good or I'm good, but because the Word has been placed in us. The Spirit has been thrust in our hearts. And because now the truth is in us, the Spirit empowers us, not by our own power, to obey. Are you with me? Now, does that imply perfection? No. That's why John says, if you do sin, which you will, praise God that you have Christ the righteous advocate who took on the shame and pain of the cross for our sins. Friends, are you guys with me? The connection of these two verses, thousands of years between them, instantly gives you and I hope that the Jews never had. Through Christ, we can obey. Are you with me? Now, tonight continues the journey of obedience. First John chapter 2, verse 3. Are you all there? Are you all there? Say I'm there. Wonderful. Verse 3. By the way, we're about to spend a very long time in verse 3. So don't get scared. Okay? Here we go. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. First of all, why would He even write this? You remember the context of 1 John is what? He's writing to Asia Minor, to a bunch of churches that have been infiltrated with bad teaching, Christology, doctrine, specifically by a group of people called the Gnostics. Everyone say Gnostics with me. Yes, now the Gnostics believed that the flesh was evil and that the spirit was good. We've said this over and over and over, so hopefully you're getting it now. And so, when Jesus comes and is incarnated in flesh, the Gnostics would say he can't be God because he took on flesh and the flesh is evil. And so listen to this. The very verbiage of the word Gnostic comes from the Greek, uh, the Greek root word gnosis, which literally means knowledge. What John is saying is, listen, anyone who is reading this, there is some bunk teaching that has infiltrated itself among you. And that teaching is that you can somehow divorce knowledge from life. It's almost pharisaical, and we're more aware of the Pharisees. 
sharing a lot of knowledge and wisdom, but divorcing it from life. Now, it's easy for us to be like, I, I don't struggle with that. Look, one of the blessings of this church, and you'll find this out very quickly, is that we are unafraid to deal with deep theological truths, hard doctrinal issues. In fact, I would say more than any other church I've been a part of, there are more heady, knowledgeable individuals in this church community about the scriptures concerning theology than than any church I've ever been to. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. But the struggle that we will potentially run into is the moment when we divorce strong theology with breeding obedience. Because I believe and we believe at this church that a right view of God or a right theology must sling us into obedience. Because a right view of God creates a right view of us which says He's Savior and we're not and we need Him so we obey. Are you with me? Now the problem is when our journey to theological things begins to divorce our thinking from our life. I put it in a phrase. Put this up for me. I tried to do as best I can here. Work with my verbiage. The intellectual stimulation that debating the Word of God provides. And you all know what this feels like. You get in certain debates about the Word, and it's, it's tickling almost to the mind, isn't it? At times you feel overwhelmed. You're like, whoa, this is kind of a cool feeling. Or people are throwing out stuff. You, we like it. If that is not accompanied by a reforming shift in life, it is simply an exercise of the mind and not a means to inherit that which is being studied. Are you with me? Our theological, heady discussions, if the purpose of them is not that we may better learn who God is, that we may better learn how we can please and glorify God as that being the great purpose of our life, is just an intellectual mind tickling. May we not fall into that trap, church. May we not fall into the trap of just creating an intellectual journey. Praise God for strong theology. We've said before that right theology and right emotions, when they collide, it's beautiful. Just like right theology must thrust us to the base of the cross, face down, saying, I am unworthy. So that's why he's writing this. He's like, look, there is a bunch of people who are just on this knowledge kit. But when you look at their life, it's completely divorced. Do not fall into the trap. Now, bigger question. What does the word know mean? When I ask, do you know God? Instantly, there's all these kind of different definitions of know. Uh, For instance, my dad knows a former major league umpire who knows Lou Piniella. You guys all know who Lou Piniella is? The manager of the greatest baseball team in America, the Chicago Cubs. Anyone else? Yes. All right. All of us. Hey, Bubba, this is our year this year. It's go time. Now listen to this. So my dad, listen to this. Last, last year, and some of you guys have heard this story because this is how excited he is about it. My dad finds himself last year in the dugout of the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. Are you kidding me? And he's sitting down, and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to do my dad. I look a lot like him now, especially. And he's a good-looking guy, though, I think. You know, so, I don't know. Right? 
he's sitting right next to Lou Pinella. And him and Lou wrap it up for 20 minutes. The coach of the Cubs. And so my dad's telling me the story. He's like, yeah, we're talking about fishing, you know, talking about the Cubs. And then he goes, and Mark, listen to this. At one moment, Derek Lee, do you guys know who Derek Lee? De- okay, he's one of the best players in baseball. He comes up, listen to this. He comes up and Lou's like, hey, uh, will you go get Byron a hat? And my dad's like, yeah, what's up, Derek? You know, they're like shaking his hand, you know. Now listen, if my dad was sharing that story, he would say he knows Lou Pinella. If you ask him, hey, do you know Lou Pinella? Oh, yeah, Lou and I go way back, you know. Oh, yeah, way back. 20 minutes of intimacy, you know. But for the rest of us, we're like, whoa, whoa, you don't know Lou Pinella. I mean, you had a beautiful conversation with him. That was awesome. But you don't know his kids or his wife. You don't know anything about him. You don't know his birthday. You don't know what he likes on his cake. You don't know any of that. So from your perspective, it would be completely different. From Lou Pinella's perspective, let's be honest. He doesn't remember the conversation, let alone my dad. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so from all of these different perspectives, the word no can be translated in all of these different definitions. Are you with me? Now, thankfully, John makes it crystal clear what he believes about what no means. Can I read the scripture for you again? And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. He says this in his gospel in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. All ambiguity is gone. For John to know... For him to know God is that it means it is a complete transition, transformation of life. Knowing God means that you will keep His commandments. All ambiguity is gone. Two more things and then we'll deal with the problem. Uh, the word keep in the scripture, the Greek word is tereo. Listen to this. And it literally means to attend to carefully or to guard. So he could have just said, um, anyone who, they must like do his commands or live his commands. No, no, no. He chose a word that means to guard his commands. Can I ask you, do you cherish the statutes of God? Listen, We have been hammered so many times in our life. Do, 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 obey, obey. And it's been disconnected from joy. The intent of obedience is to reconnect us with the very one who created the understanding of joy. Friends, do you cherish his statutes? Guard them. Protect them. Love them. Which, by the way, what are they? Keep His commandments. This has been a question that we've uh, struggled with for many years. Wouldn't you agree? So, like, what does this mean? The Ten Commandments? So am I supposed to go out and follow the Ten Commandments then? Like, how does this work itself out? What commandments am I supposed to follow? This is somewhat confusing. Well, Scripture says that Jesus came and fulfilled the law of And the prophets. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, he says, I am the Lord 
of the Sabbath, which is the fourth commandment. He, listen, embodies the law perfectly. He embodies it. He lives it. He fulfills it. And then when asked, what are the greatest commandments? How does he respond? You know what the two greatest commandments are, he says? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those of you that don't know, our tagline here at Matthias is loving him and loving his. The fulfillment of what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. And so we step back from that. We're like, oh, sweet. Love God. Have you ever noticed that we take a lot of our interactions with each other relationally and then thrust them on our relationship with God and feel like we can understand our relationship with God because of of this? Listen, let me tell you something. We throw the word love around a lot. To love God embodies everything underneath it. So when he says, love God and love people, he's not saying, okay, just love me, but go ahead and murder everybody. That'd be great. No, everything that he has ever embodied and fulfilled is underneath this measure of loving God. And so the commandments are to literally follow Christ who fulfilled perfectly and embodied perfectly the law. Are you with me? So that's where we turn when he says, you'll know that you know if you keep his commandments. That what, that's what that looks like. Now, there's a whole other problem with all this. I'll put up my little graph here. Uh, demonstrates is not the first base player here, I guarantee you. I apologize for the confusion. Now, it's easy to then look at this verse and say what? We'll know that we know if we obey, if we keep His commandments. There's only two ways to look at obedience. Look at this. Either obedience establishes relationship with Jesus or obedience, or obedience demonstrates relationship with Jesus. We battle back and forth between these two things a lot in our life, don't we? The gospel is not obey and you're accepted. The gospel is he obeyed, he humbled himself, Christ followed the call of God, and because Christ did, is the righteous advocate that we learned last week, now you are accepted. What John is saying is that obedience demonstrates relationship with Jesus. In other words, obedience isn't a condition. It's a sign. It's proof. Are you guys with me? That's the message here. When you know God, you will keep His commandments because knowing and life cannot be Divorced. James chapter 2 says what? Faith without what? Works is dead. James affirms this mindset that we cannot divorce faith and works. Works does not produce faith. Are you with me? Works is a sign of faith. Is a demonstration of faith. And so when John writes, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, what he's saying is that church obedience will demonstrate relationship with Jesus. And so we pause. 
and say, is it? Do you sense in your own existence that the demonstration of obedience in your life is revealing your relationship with Christ? I ask again, do you know God? Now, this verse does two other things. The first thing is it shows the difference between you and I's relationship and our relationship with God. This is amazing. When you and I begin a relationship, I don't turn to you and say, um, you're going to know me if you keep all my commandments. Here's the list. Here's the folder. Go through them one by one. We'll come back and talk next week. See what I'm saying? We don't work that way, thankfully, right? I mean, yes, there's trust. Yes, there's love. But if me and Brandon are starting a relationship with one another, not that sounded weird. If we're beginning friendship with one another, I don't hand, hand Brandon like the law on tablets, you know? I say, all right, Brandon, you come back. You let me know if you can fulfill these. Look what this does. This instantly, brilliantly here, tucked away in First John, shows not just the fact that Christ was incarnated, listen, but that Christ is king. Are you with the language here? Look, these are the things that you miss if you just roll over the scripture. But if you really understand the context which he's writing, this is a claim to the Gnostic-ridden world that Christ has not just incarnated himself in the flesh, but that he is king. And the king demands that those who are following him obey him. And the blessed thing about our king is that our obedience isn't the thing that accepts us. It's Christ who causes us to be accepted before the throne of God. Are you with me? Now, one last thing about verse 3. You're like, holy cow. It's a long contextualization of verse 3. It is. What do we learn about God through obedience? You see that in the verse? We will know... That we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In other words, it shows us that by obeying, we learn more about God. Have you found that to be true? That as he empowers you to obey, you learn more about his nature, about his character, about who he is as God. What a blessing, isn't it? What a blessing. The, the disciples, this had to be a funny moment. They're fishing. Any fishermen here? I always ask, there's always three, and they're always from Wentzville, you know? Now, when he calls, when he calls the disciples to himself, all right, what does he tell them? I'm going to make you what? I'm going to make you what? This is like old school Sunday school felt board. You learn this. I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. They watch him. They follow him for three years. And then what happens? The Spirit empowers them, and they find themselves watching mass conversion. They were thrust into obedience, and what did it teach them? It taught the disciples that God is faithful to His Word. I will make you fishers of men. And then, all of a sudden, they see it. Can you remember a moment in your life... When God has empowered you to obey and he revealed himself to you in a mighty way, I guarantee you that's what happened in Jeremy and Jared's life. God called them to raise the funds and to travel and all of a sudden he blessed their obedience with his faithfulness. Are you with me? Now, the second thing, and there's many things that it does, is it continues to reveal to us that everything is about the glory of God. As we obey 
He continues to humble us because that's what happens when you're walking in obedience. He humbles and we continue to learn that this life is about Him. So the claim from verse 3 is that you will know that you know if you obey. Finally, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, in quotation marks, but does not keep his commandments is a what? Is a liar and the truth is not in him. Context. What is he saying? There's a bunch of people, Gnostics, who are lying. And listen, wake up, church. You're following them. That's what he's saying. They're a liar and the truth is not in them. You're following them. You're listening to the message and you're being confused. And you're beginning now to shift your way of thinking. Stop following bad teaching. Gauge the life and what's, what's being spouted out as knowledge. Connect those two again. Now, we have seen this liar talk in chapter 1, verse 6. You'll be a liar. But we haven't seen something in chapter 1. Check this out. He says, you're a liar and what? And the truth is not even in you. That's a completely different statement, isn't it? Um, I'm going to, this gargantuan Bible here, this thing weighs 50 pounds. Now, look at this. What does it mean? This is pretty cool, isn't it? (laughs) What does it mean for the truth to be in you? Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, what? The, The truth and the life. In John chapter 16, two chapters later, quick math, he says, when the spirit of truth, what? Comes, he will empower you and equip you What this is saying, the truth being in us, is Christ's empowerment of the Spirit in us, which we already talked about tonight, sealing our hearts. That is the truth being in us. Now listen to this. In ancient times, after Moses comes down, he has the Ten Commandments. It's put in this carrying case called the Ark of the the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is put... In the most holy of holy place, when David creates the temple in Jerusalem, it's put there. The Ark of the Covenant, if you read the scriptures, is like protected in crazy ways. It's cherished. It's relished. It like represented the very presence of God. Are you with me? Now listen to this. What the scripture says is that that truth, that crazy, powerful presence of God, listen, is put in you. The very thing that people could not even approach is now thrust inside of you. Is anybody just encouraged? But what does John say? If you divorce knowledge and life, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. It reveals that you do not know God. It makes things pretty serious pretty fast for us, doesn't it? Are any of you feeling like a liar? Listen, be encouraged, some of you. The gospel, the call of it, is again not that we would be perfect. Scripture never calls us to perfection. 
but because of the gospel makes obedience possible. That's what we learned last week. And so right now, if you're like, yeah, I sinned one time last week or three times yesterday, whatever it is, but I'm, I'm still a Christian, right? Look, if the Spirit, I have a good friend. I have a good friend who just um, going through some stuff, wrestling with some stuff, and he confessed uh, just a, a couple days ago, just a struggle in his life. And he said, Mark, I have not been able to sleep for two nights. That is the power of the truth being in you because we've learned about the tension of what? Of light and darkness. That's the power, the revelation that you know God. is The Spirit is alive and at work in you, verse 5. But whoever keeps His Word in Him truly, the love of God is perfected. This is an amazing verse. Look at this. First of all, keeps is the same word that we looked at in verse 3. Whenever you see the word perfected, just like we've just talked about, your eyebrows should raise. Perfected. The, like, what does that mean in our context? The Greek word, telao, no, telao, all right? That literally means, look at this, to be worked out in its fullness. That the love of God is perfected. Look at this. We've already talked about sanctification. Sanctification being the process of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to make us more like Christ. This is the process of sanctification. The love of God being worked out to its fullness in us. The truth, the holy of holies placed in us being worked out. Look. This is a moment where we pause and we say, thank you, God, for the process of sanctification. We asked the question a couple weeks ago, are you stuck trying to earn your justification? Or have you really desired and yearned and craved to be sanctified? This is the blessing of sanctification. The love of God being worked out in you. Are you with me? That's the beauty of verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, guards his commandments, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Verse 5b. By this we may be sure. Assurance. The power of it. He's going to sum it all up here for us. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Him, ought to walk in the same way which He walks. Christ, we've already talked about the word walk, which means what? Lifestyle. Live the same way that Christ lived. This is the power, listen to this church, of assurance. Now, for those of you guys that are stuck in this rhythm, of trying to achieve justification. In other words, every day you wake up unassured of the gospel that's affected your life. And what does it do? It causes you to daily wake up and to try to allow obedience to shape your acceptability in God's eyes. And so daily you work at being justified. By this we may be sure the love of God being perfected, us keeping the commandments of God. That is the beauty, my friends, 
of the process of sanctification. We, listen to this, assured of what the gospel has done in our life, can leave justification behind. Celebrate it, yes. Give God thanks for it, yes. But move on and say, God, will you please make us more like you? That is the power of abiding in Him. The word abide is meno. And it means to remain in. Stay connected to. Do you know God? For Sean's been pretty clear about how you know that you know. So I ask you, do you know? Some of you guys have been struggling with assurance. Been waking up every day doubting what Christ maybe once did in your life. Open your eyes to the reality of the gospel in your life. And some of you, listen, some of you aren't sure because you shouldn't be sure because you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus yet. Let me say something to you. Tonight, because of the power of the gospel, you can walk out of this room assured. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of His sacrifice on a cross. Acceptance of relationship with Jesus, the recognition of the fact that you are a sinner and need Him. My friends, come talk to us so that we can continue the conversation so that you can be assured and celebrate the blessing of sanctification. By this you know that you walk in the same way that He walked. Church, do you know God? No. One of the struggles of relationships in the human form is when you think a relationship is going really well, but the other person would say that it's not. Have you ever experienced that before? You think a relationship is just kicking, you know? It's like, man, this is, we're, we're close, we're able to talk, and then one day, all of a sudden, that friend like shows up and is like, dude, I don't, like what, what do we even have? We have nothing here. And all this time you've been deceiving yourself and imagining some fake relationship. Can I tell you a passage of scripture? Jesus says, many will come to me and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't, didn't like, didn't we perform all these miracles? And like, weren't we in relationship and what does Jesus say in the passage? Apart from me, I never knew you. May we, as a church, be assured of the gospel and its effect in our life. May we know that we know. And may we walk as he walked. Because that's the power of sanctification. Church. There's no time to wait. The time is now. Let's pray. God, for the individuals in this room who have gone on an intellectual pursuit, but that pursuit 
has yet to connect a transformed life, I pray that that happens tonight. God, I pray that you'll help increase our faith like only you can. That we may experience assurance tonight. That we may know that by looking inwardly at our lives, that your gospel may be reflected all the more. God, show us areas tonight that need to be repented of. Sin that has caused people to be confused of the areas in our life that are disconnected from you. God, I pray tonight that through the assurance that you provide through the cross, that we will as a church celebrate and stand strong, firm in our faith, not because of our strength, but because of yours. God, empower us tonight. Call us to that response. Send us out of this church with the ability, with the opportunity to walk like you walked, believing that it's possible. Let's stand and respond.